Our gospel lesson is from the Gospel according to John, the 13th chapter, verses 31 through 35. When Judas was gone, Jesus said, Now the human one has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify the human one in himself and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you for a little while longer. You will look for me. But just as I told the Jewish leaders, I also tell you now. Where I'm going, you can't come. I give you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, so you also must love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples, when you love each other. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. A junior high music teacher had just organized a band in her school. The principal was so proud of the music teacher's efforts that without consulting her, he decided that the band should give a concert for the entire school. The music teacher wasn't so sure that her young musicians were ready to give a concert, so she tried to talk the principal out of holding the concert to no avail. Just before the concert was ready to begin, as the music teacher stood on the podium, she leaned forward and whispered to her nervous musicians, if you're not sure of your part, just pretend to play. And with that, she stepped back, lifted her baton, and with a great flourish, brought it down. And lo and behold, nothing happened. <laughs> the band brought forth a resounding silence. Sometimes we in the church are, are like that junior high band. We are unsure of our parts. We're tentative in our roles. We're reluctant to trumpet forth the music of faith that God desires of us. And that's because we have trouble deciding what's most important. You know, most of the choices that we make in life are not between what's trivial and what's important. We, we can handle those pretty easily. Rather, most of the choices we make are usually between what is important and what is more important. As we gather in worship this morning, we affirm that the greatest blessing that God has given us is God's love for us. That is what is most important. God's love that forgives our sins and makes us children of God. God's love that brings us into a fellowship with one another. It is love that brings us together as Christians. It is God's love that draws us to him and enables us to do what Jesus said, to love one another. This passage happens on Holy Thursday or Maundy Thursday. The, the Thursday night before Jesus is crucified. So this is Jesus with the disciples in the upper room when he's doing communion, when he has washed the disciples, after he has washed the disciples' feet. He starts talking to them. And this is kind of his last, well, it isn't kind of, it is his last opportunity to share something with the disciples to get them through what's going to happen. Jesus knows what the next four days hold. There is no question in his mind. He knows he's about to be betrayed. He knows he'll be arrested. He knows he's going to the cross. And he knows he'll rise again. And he's tried to communicate this to the disciples, but the disciples have no clue. They just, they've never understood. Every time Jesus tries to tell them about it, they don't get it. 
know, Peter's the first one there. He tells him, you know, I, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to die. And, and Peter's first words are, uh-uh, no way, Lord. We're, we're going to fight for you. You got, you know, 12 of us strong men. We're going to fight for you. Nothing's going to happen to you. We won't let anything happen to you. And Peter is the one who the night when Jesus has been arrested, when it's all on the line, and they figure out Peter's accent, that he's one of them, Peter denies Jesus three times. So much for I'll fight to the death for you. So Jesus knows all of this is coming. He's got to leave them with something. So he leaves them with this commandment, which in some sense encapsulates all of the Ten Commandments that we have in the Old Testament. But he boils it down to one commandment. There's just one thing we have to do. Love one another. It sounds so simple. I mean, who doesn't love love? But then we get to, what does those two little words each other mean? Who do we have to love? Do we love our families? Well, sure. Do we love the people in this room this morning and the others who are part of our fellowship who aren't here this morning? Do we love one another? Well, yes. But Jesus doesn't intend for it to stop there. Jesus wants us to take that love out into the world. He tells us parables, like the story of the Good Samaritan, to show us that we're supposed to love not only those people who we like, not only those people who are our neighbors, who we fellowship with, but we are to love those people who are not necessarily easy to love, who maybe we don't like, who maybe don't want us to love them. Love is not easy. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's hard. C.S. Lewis was one of the great theologians of the 20th century. Uh, you may know him better as the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, the set of absolutely amazing children's books. But he also wrote theology works for adults. And if you haven't read either Mere Christianity or the Screwtape Letters, just to name two of his books, you have missed out. Uh, you, you need to check those out. He's amazing. He talks at one point about love. And I want to read this quote to you because he really has a, a handle on what it means to love as Jesus loves and the dangers of not loving. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. Love anything and you risk getting hurt. 
even an animal, and you risk getting hurt. Because anything that lives dies, and even those furry little critters that we love, when they go, those of you who have been down that road and you love animals like I love animals, it's like losing a family member. Love hurts. We lose our loved ones. We lose family members. And it's painful. And it's hard. And sometimes relationships get broken, and that's hard. And we're called to love anyway. But we have to love because if we don't love, the alternative to love is hate and indifference and uncaring. The perfect description of hell. We have a choice. We need to choose love. We are called to choose love. We are designed to choose love. Love is meant to be the mark of a Christian. You know, there, there's the, the old song, I, I think maybe it was from the 70s, they will know we are Christians by our love. That's supposed to be, that's how they're supposed to know who we are. And yet so often we fall down on that. You know, we should be, Christians should be known for being the most loving people on earth, and instead what we are known for is being divisive and backbiting and not getting along with each other and, and being hypocritical and, and all of this negative stuff and that's not what we're called to. We were called to love. That's supposed to be our sign. There, there have been, God's people have, have had signs kind of throughout history. I, I found this. Michael Green is the one who actually came up with this. And he said that the sign that you followed Abraham was circumcision. Early in the Old Testament, if you were going to be a Hebrew, if you were going to follow the God of Abraham, you were circumcised. That was the sign of the covenant. The sign that you followed Moses a little further down the road was keeping the Sabbath. You can think of it as keeping all of the Ten Commandments. The fact that for Moses, what made you a person of God was that you kept the commandments. The sign that you followed John the Baptist was that you were baptized, washed in the water. That's how people knew that you were following God through through God's testimony, you were following God through his testimony in John the Baptist. The sign that you follow Jesus Christ is that you love each other. That is the mark that we're supposed to be characterized with. And I want to tell you, y'all. I'm down to the point of having to sort of count out days left to figure out, sort of planning out how the, my, my last weeks are going to go here. I've got 33 days left to pack. I'm taking out time spent with my daughters, and, and I've got to go to annual conference in Baton Rouge. I've got just a few Sundays left to talk with y'all, to preach to y'all. And so in the back of my mind is starting to ring, what do I want to leave them with? What do I want to tell these folks before I leave on June 19th? When I walk out the door on June 19th, what do I feel like God needs me to tell them so that I can leave peacefully and they can be ready to welcome their new pastor? This text, y'all, is the lectionary text for the Sunday. I did not pick this on purpose. But I looked at it and I was like, 
this is, yeah, this. This is what we need to remember. You are a wonderful, loving people. You get this already. But I want to encourage you to keep it going. Don't let the hurt of the transition keep you from loving your new pastor. Don't let the fear of the future keep you from loving each other and being the people that God called and created you to be. When the new pastor walks in here, my hope and prayer is that she will experience the love of God and your love just like I have. Because that's who we're supposed to be. That's what we're all about. God loved us enough to send his son Jesus to die for us. And the only thing God asks us to do, besides loving him, is to love each other. That's it. And you never know, when we love one another, we never know what kind of impact that's going to have. You don't know what one kind word can do to a person, or do for a person. One of the great preachers of the 20th century was a guy named Fred Craddock. Fred Craddock was at Emory University. Um, I missed Dr. Craddock by that much. He retired in the spring of 1993, and I came in the fall of 1993. But he came back frequently to preach in our chapel services, and I would go, the, the man's reputation is just enormous. I, you didn't miss chapel when Dr. Craddock was coming to preach. He's amazing. And so I want to close this morning with this story. It's a little bit long, but, but, it, but I, I, it makes a good point. And um, I, I want to share this with you from uh, Dr. Craddock. He tells a story about vacationing with his wife one summer in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. One night, they found a quiet little restaurant where they looked forward to a private meal. While they were waiting for their food, they noticed a distinguished-looking, white-haired man moving from table to table visiting with the guests. Craddock leaned over and whispered to his wife, I hope he doesn't come over here. He didn't want anyone intruding on their privacy, but sure enough, the man came over to their table. Where are you folks from? He asked in a friendly voice. Oklahoma, Craddock answered. Splendid state, I hear, although I've never been there, the stranger said. What do you do for a living? I teach homiletics at the graduate seminary at Phillips University, Craddock replied. Ah, so you teach preachers how to preach, do you? Well, I've got a story to tell you. And with that, the gentleman pulled up a chair and sat down at the table with Craddock and his wife. Dr. Craddock said he groaned inwardly and thought to himself, oh, no. Here comes another preacher's story. It seems like everybody's got at least one. The man stuck out his hand. I'm Ben Hooper, he said. I was born not far from here across the mountains. My mother wasn't married when I was born, so I had a pretty hard time. When I started to school, my classmates had a name for me, and it wasn't a very nice name. I used to go off by myself at recess and lunchtime because the things they said to me cut me so deep. What was worse was going to town on Saturday afternoons and feeling like every eye was burning a hole through me, wondering just who my father was. When I was about 12 years old, a new preacher came to our church. I would always go in late and slip out early. But one day, the preacher said the benediction so fast, I got caught and had to walk out with the crowd. I could feel every eye in the church on me. 
Just about the time I got to the door, I felt a big hand on my shoulder. I looked up, and the preacher was looking right at me. Who are you, son? Whose boy are you? He asked. I felt this big weight coming down on me. It was like a big black cloud. Even the preacher was putting me down. But as he looked down at me, studying my face, he began to smile a big smile of recognition. Wait a minute, he said. I know who you are. I see the family resemblance now. You are a child of God. With that, he slapped me across the rump and said, Boy, you've got a great inheritance. Go and claim it. The old man looked across the table at Fred Craddock and said, Those were the most important words anybody ever said to me, and I've never forgotten them. With that, he smiled, shook hands with Craddock and his wife, and moved on to another table to greet old friends. And as he walked away, Craddock, a native Tennessean himself, remembered from his studies of Tennessee history that on two occasions the people of Tennessee had elected to the office of governor men who were born out of wedlock. One of them was a man named Ben Hooper. Governor Hooper was able to find himself despite a father who had abandoned him. Thank God he had a mother who was devoted to him. He had someone in his life who showed him love. And that preacher who showed him God's love, who recognized the image of God in him, even though the rest of the community said he was nothing but trash because he didn't have a daddy, that preacher knew he was a child of God. Y'all, we are all children of God. We all deserve to be treated with love. May we love one another. We never know what kind of impact we're going to have on somebody's life. And it may be that the words, the kind words that you say to the grocery store clerk, that, that may not change his or her life. They, they may not grow up to be governor or president or anything like that, but you may just make their day. You may make your life a little better. And that's worth something. May we love one another as we have been loved. May we love in our words, our deeds, and our actions that others might see the light and love of Christ living in us. Amen.